1: And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. As you may know, puberty is just one topic young people want to know about during their preteen years. It makes sense because they're experiencing many bodily changes to become that adult-sized person. Yet, if we consider what is seen in the media, the numerous messages about sex, relationships, etc., we need to recognize the need to talk with our preteens. Our kids about more than puberty, and talk about sex. To help figure out how to have these talks, I asked Dan Rice to join me today. I met Dan many years ago at a national conference for health education where he was representing the national organization titled, Answer. Before I go on and on about his experience, I would like him to say hi and actually introduce himself. So hi, Dan, and thank you for being here today. Do you mind saying hi to our audience?
2: Absolutely, good morning, everyone. And good morning, Lori, thank you for having me.
1: Oh, it's so great to have you. I'm so excited about our conversation today because I know you have this extensive background, particularly about how to talk to young people on sexuality topics. Would you mind sharing with us your background?
2: Sure, I actually started my career as a drop-in center coordinator with an LGBTQ center in Long Island many, many years ago. And since then I have just, it ignited my spark and love for training and education around sexuality and gender issues. And so uh, I did a short stint in the for-profit world but most of my career has been with nonprofit organizations. And so I've been working with ANSWER, the organization that uh, I was representing when I first met you for in some way, shape or form, 15 years now. Uh, And I've also worked for Planned Parenthood and HITOPS and and several other organizations. So I've had the privilege of working with young people, with parent groups, incarcerated youth, forced to care groups, and have had uh, the opportunities to work on sex ed standards on both the state and national level. So it's been really exciting.
1: And would you mind telling us a little bit about ANSWER? Because I know I recommend my future health teachers and the ones that are out there to go to ANSWER for a variety of resources. I mean, there's so much there. So what is ANSWER?
2: Well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for for the referrals. We appreciate that. ANSWER is a national sex education organization based out of Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And we sort of have two tracks of work that we do. We have our Sex, Etc. program. Which is our website for high school age students, org. And that is content that's written by teens for teens. And it's really a very special program, I think, um, because we are really helping to center and amplify the voices of young people. And then for adults, we have a program, our National Training Initiative, which helps um, teachers, parents, social workers, counselors sort of get the training that they need, either in an in person, online, or hybrid um, method to be able to learn all the skills and the content that they need to effectively talk about sexuality within people.
1: Very cool. And I remember even when I was working on Long Island, because we discovered that we're both from Long Island just yes, recently, yes. but I had high school students go to answer for sure for sex, et cetera, because they were curious and we wanted them, the school district wanted them to go to reliable resources to get correct information and age appropriate information.
2: Yes, 6 acceptor has been around for 27 years, and ANSWER just celebrated their 40th anniversary last year, so we've been around for a while.
1: Wow, congratulations. Thank you. You've also written a book that just came out. It's called The Essential Sex Education Book for Parents, Guided Conversations to Have with Your Tweens and Teens. Would you tell us a little bit about the book?
2: Absolutely. So the book is really designed to be a practical tool that parents can pick up and use right away. It's designed for parents of young people ages 8 to 18, and it really goes wide and not deep. So it covers a large number of topics and gives parents just a little bit of information that they need to know in order to be able to have the conversation, some conversation starters, and then some tips around having those conversations. The book is written with an inclusive lens, so making sure that we're including LGBTQ youth and making sure that we're talking about intersectionality and intersection identities, And it's divided into two parts. So part one really talks about the basics and covers child sexual development, the importance of being sex positive and what's happening in schools around sex education. And then just some of the regular challenges that parents face just starting these conversations and what you know is behind those feelings of nervousness um, to talk about the topic. And then part two is 70 different guided conversations with age recommendations that, as I mentioned, provide some little bit of background information, some sample questions, and then the tips.
1: So I'm getting a sense that if I wanted to start reading parts of your book, I don't have to read the whole entire book at once. Is that correct?
2: That's absolutely correct
1: because I know I've written the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and it covers basic questions that I've been asked and a lot of health educators have been asked from children about the basics. And things are phrased as what happens to most boys, most girls. Um, and then there's sections about pregnancy. And I've always said to people, pick it up, open it up and read some questions because it'll remind you when you were a kid, but it's you can just do like little short pieces. And if you need to leave the book in the bathroom,
2: Absolutely. we have a couple Absolutely. of
1: minutes. I don't mean to be personal <laughs> exactly. about that, but sometimes yeah. we're in there for a couple of minutes. So you'd say the same thing about your book. You know, like, you can Absolutely. just read a section, put it down, process it, go talk to a kid.
2: Absolutely. In fact, that's what I encourage parents to do. It doesn't have to be read in any sort of sequence.
1: Because just like I talk about for puberty talks, it's not a talk It's talks. It's plural because it's supposed to be for many times throughout a child's life.
2: I actually refer to it as the lifelong conversation. It's the conversation that we need to start early and continue having throughout the lifespan.
1: Well, since you brought up earlier about going into the basic child sexual development in your book, do you mind just giving us a brief overview about that?
2: Sure. I really approach the child sexual development piece around the fact that most changes People experience are the same regardless of the sex they're assigned at birth and so when we talk about the physical social emotional and cognitive changes there's really only some differences when it comes to the physical changes of puberty and, and um, you know in the greater scheme of adolescence many of those changes are similar so we're more alike than we are different right and so we start off by talking about some of the physical traits that everybody or the physical changes that everybody goes through um, during puberty So puberty starts at different times, as we know, and, and, you know, takes about five to seven years to complete. And for everybody who goes through that process, um, they're going to get, you know, hair on their legs and underarms and genitals and produce sweat glands and all of those types of things. Right. And then when we talk about what most girls might experience is the development of breast tissue, menstruation, widening of hips. And most boys will experience growth in the penis and testicles facial and chest hair, wet dreams, those types of things. So it really covers those basics that I know you've talked about many times on your podcast.
1: Thank you for going over that. And it's a great review because a lot, we go through basically the same stuff, except very specific things, depending upon some body parts. Right. And you base things on sex positivity. Would you mind reminding our audience, our listeners about what sex positivity is about?
2: Sure. To me, sex positivity is about feeling liberated from shame, stigma, and fear about our bodies, our sexual health, and our sexual experiences. So I share a personal story in the book of what my sex ed experience was, um, which was very limited, um, even in New York. And so in fifth grade, I remember they, they brought all the people who were male-identified into the gymnasium. It was this big room, and we had a little tiny TV on a cart. And the one male identified teacher showed us this video about the changes of puberty. And then at the end, he said, um, and I still remember this like it's yesterday, he said to us, um, I'm not here to tell you how to do it, but if you have questions, I'll answer them. <laughs> so that was sort of my opening and uh, introduction to sex education. And my, the second thing I remember is from eighth grade where they showed us those really gruesome slides of genitals that had uh, all kinds of STDs and worst case scenarios. And then in 10th grade was the miracle of birth video, right? So that was my sex education. And the framing for all of those things was one, in fifth grade, we don't talk about sex, right? Two, if you have sex, you're gonna get diseases, right? And three, if you have heterosexual sex, your partner's gonna get pregnant and pregnancy and childbirthing is terrifying, right? So those are not positive messages that we want people to have around sexuality. So even if they're getting sex education in schools, it doesn't mean that it's coming from a sex, sex positive lens or perspective. And so I just really like to make sure we're framing things from that sex positive lens and make sure that you know we're talking about sex and human, human development, sexuality and human development from an early age. And as I said, throughout the child's growth.
1: Now, I remember fifth grade too, they did separate us. Boys, they were playing sports on one side of the gymnasium. It was most girls, we were watching the video and it was on the period and all that kind of stuff. And then we were teased afterwards by some of their peers. And I do remember, too, that whole fear based, you know, if you do this, going back to that mean girls, you will die, you will get this STI, STD. And I find it interesting because when I talk with college folks, um, I really appreciate their honesty. And some feel so much shame that they maybe had one sexual experience, contracted something, and but they were in a committed relationship. Nobody knew, or maybe they were born with herpes or whatever. There was so much shame. So it's more like, well, if you have something, how can you, if it's something that can be resolved, how can you talk to a health provider to have it resolved? How can you talk to partners if you or a partner if you engaged in sexual contact with them to let them know and get tested? But if you have something that basically stays with you, a viral type of STI, STD, how do you handle that? And how do you communicate with future partners? So it's more not this, oh, bad on you. It's this is part of life. It's a germ. And we all get germs at times. And then for that whole pregnancy, that whole thing of like, I know somebody who was a pregnant teenager and the shame that was given to her from her family members in the community. And it's like, it happened. It was a natural thing that happened. Her and her partner had sex and they had a baby and that baby's on this planet and a wonderful person. It's not the end of the world if there's a pregnancy.
2: Absolutely. There's such a huge disconnect between how we talk about sexuality with younger people and then what the expectations are around sexuality in adulthood, right? We raise young people, you know, through the school systems many times to have that fear and shame-based sort of perspective. And then all of a sudden they're adults and they're expected to get married and have children and have babies. And it's supposed to be a joyous occasion and, you know, and there's just such a huge gap between those two sort of worlds that i really think sex positivity plays a role in you know filling or eliminating that gap altogether
1: we do know in the research there's a lot of studies out there that tell us that if we talk honestly with young people about sex that it increases the probability of them not engaging in it like it it, it basically has them postpone engagement or Um, has them use more protective measure devices like condoms and stuff like that. And even in other countries, when we're very honest about whatever body parts you have about the sexual response, there is a delay in beginning to have sexual contact or sexual um, activity. Is that correct?
2: That's absolutely correct. I point out all the time that European countries are much more open than um, American culture is around sex and sexuality. And they have much better sexual health outcomes for their teens. And, you know, as an industrialized nation, the United States has some of the highest teen pregnancy rates and the highest teen STI, STD rates. And it's because we have this mentality of, if we don't talk about it, it's not going to happen. But the reality is, if we don't talk about it, young people don't know how to protect themselves.
1: And again, if that stuff happens, it happens in life. Yet, we also know that some people don't have access to the medical care then, to Absolutely. get things, like if they have uh, contracted something, to get things resolved or how to talk to a partner about it, or they might not have services for their pregnancy. So the delaying, we usually support that. Absolutely. Now, again, talking with your kids, it helps your kids for their, their decision-making. Dan, do you mind sharing some different strategies and techniques for parents and other caregivers for talking with young people about sexuality?
2: Absolutely. So I think a lot of parents look for how am I going to start this conversation? And one of the things that I know you and I both agree on is that teachable moments are aces, right? I'm looking for those moments in television shows or movies or ads in in magazines that spark a conversation around sex and sexuality, around different topics that parents want to be able to talk to young people about, whether it's body image or whether it's talking about healthy relationships right there's that whole large spectrum and uh, many different opportunities that are teachable moments and allow us to start those conversations two strategies that i offer i offer the one strategy in the book but two strategies in terms of you know the way i would talk about strategies for teachers in schools versus strategies for parents is the soy or the so method and so with in teachers i use the soy method which is s o y explaining um, when you're talking about values, you would present a range. Some people believe this, other people believe this. It's important to know what you and your family believe about this topic, right? And then when we're talking to parents, they use this, I I recommend the SO method, which I introduced in the book, which is some people believe this, other people believe this, and we as a family or our culture or our religion believe this. And so that's a method for really just sort of opening in people's eyes to the many range of values that they're going to experience when they're out in the world interacting with other people and also providing an opportunity for parents to have a real clear um, conversation with their child around what their values and expectations are as a family in their culture or in their religion or just their beliefs in general. I also talk about using open ended questions, right? If we ask yes no questions, we're often going to get yes no answers, which doesn't tell us a whole lot about what's going on and what our children are thinking about. And then the most important thing I'd say is you don't need to know all the answers to start the conversation, right? Start the conversation. If there's something that you don't know, there are reliable resources out there that you can go to to get a little bit more information, but you have to start those conversations.
1: In which we note, know- it's a barrier for how to start because a lot of us, it wasn't modeled for us. And as a parent or other caregiver, we're not often taught how to do this for a teacher, for health educators. Typically we do talk about that at the university setting when we're training teachers, how do we talk with, with young people in which our job is not to impose our values. Like you just said, Dan it's for children to young people to understand Um what values and and look at the influences around them and talk to their family members. For caregivers, the the people that are raising these children in their homes, if you weren't taught something in a school, then how do you do it? So what are some of the conversation starters that you recommend?
2: Sure. So there's, uh, like I said in the book, there's 70 different conversation starters that range from consent to hygiene and Mm self-esteem, all the way to talking about constructs of virginity, power dynamics, and relationships, and intersecting identities. So one of the ones that I wanted to talk about from the book that I was most excited about is talking about pleasure. And pleasure is a topic that, you know, a lot of parents feel like I'm not just going to discuss that with my kids, right? But there's important reasons to have conversations about pleasure with young people. Um, And I'm not talking super young, right? I'm talking, you know, teenage folks. First of all, young people know that sex feels good, right? Cat's out of the bag there, right? (laughs) So um, they've already figured that part out. So if we leave that part out of the conversation, they may also start to wonder, well, what else are they leaving out? What else are they intentionally not telling me? But more importantly, we know from the research that this can help reduce the risk of coercive behaviors, Right? Helping young people to understand that if they don't want to engage in sexual behaviors because it's not going to be pleasurable to them, then they shouldn't do it. Right. And so it's a really important factor. So some of the conversations that I include in the book is, you know, do they discuss sexual pleasure in your sex ed classes if you have sex ed classes? Why do you think sex is portrayed as pleasurable in the media, but pleasure isn't mentioned in sex ed at all? Or why do you think some people just don't talk about pleasure? Right. So, just giving some ideas and some examples of how to start those conversations. And again, those could be while you're watching a movie, right? And maybe there's a scene where somebody's, you know, having a romantic moment or whatever the case may be that you can use those opportunities to start those conversations with your children.
1: I'm so glad that you brought up pleasure because. Somebody that's listening in might not have expected that and went, and went whoa, wait a minute, pleasure. In which I, I remember teaching at a high school on Long Island and I had a student that wasn't in my health class, but somebody else's. They approached me or actually they called me over to their lunchroom table when I was walking through the cafeteria. And the whole table was like, is it true? Is it true that most women don't enjoy sex? And I was like, "Uh, think about that, folks. No, 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 but that's what we heard in health class. And I was like, don't you think that if most women didn't enjoy sex, there wouldn't be a lot of kids on this planet? Don't you think that that we the (laughs) people that have these parts would take over and and they laughed? And I said, what the reality is, if you're talking about having the um, the experience of orgasm, that's more 70 to 80 percent of those that identify as biological women. They wouldn't achieve orgasm from typical intercourse and they went oh and i talked to that health teacher about it and i won't go down uh that road about how that conversation went because they identified as a male and they weren't understanding why is that not a bad thing to under to to think to believe that people don't enjoy sex because i flat out have said to like my future teachers that when we talk about sexuality like i the scare tactics are not proven to be effective and i would hope that if somebody's doing something that there's consent And both people are coming, uh, going to a place of pleasure, that this is about pleasure and not one person over the other. And that I would hope, and if any of my parents, uh, either of my parents are listening to this, I'm really sorry, but I would hope that when I was conceived that there was pleasure with both parents.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. And the reason that I chose that particular topic is because I do think it's one that I know is not happening in schools. And so, you know, one of the ideas behind my book is to really try and help parents fill those gaps of what they're not getting in sex ed in schools. And so it tends to cover topics like that. I think overall, you know, we know that the research says that talking about sex does not encourage kids to go out and have sex. If anything, you know, it encourages them to delay sex. So.
1: Well, I do want to also put in a plug here, you know, for the book, The Essential Sex Education Book for Parents. So there's conversation starters 70, you said, in there. Yes, yes, which is wonderful. I don't know if you've seen the Talk Sex app. Usually with my book, I talk about the Talk Puberty app, but I also created a Talk Sex app and it's all questions. There's no answers to it. It's found on iOS products, Apple products, in which it's based on the topics with the National Sexuality Education Standards. And it currently, there's no answers. Part of the design behind the app is for people to be asked a question, like a question about healthy relationships. And then if somebody's like, I'm not sure that they're encouraged to go look for answers, and there's resources noted on it. So it's a very basic, it's not a flashy app at all, but then there's also these personal questions about, well, what aspects of a healthy relation do you think are most important? Or what are you looking for in a partner? So it's to engage people in conversations within families, or even within people that are considering engaging in any kind of physical activity or dating, dating. It's to encourage that conversation because to me, effective communication is so important for all of our relationships.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely agreed.
1: Now, what advice do you have for young people who are listening in?
2: Yes, young people. I want to make sure that they know that they have a right to having this information, right? They have a right to understand how their bodies work and so that they can protect their health, right? This is um, something they absolutely do have a right to. And if their parents don't bring it up, it's important that they bring it up with their parents, right? Because as we've mentioned during this podcast, you know, parents may not have had the talk with their parents or had any conversations with their parents. They may not have had sex education in schools. So they really don't have any model for how this is supposed to happen. And then I'd say, go easy on your parents. <laughs> uh, you know, They're probably just as embarrassed to have these conversations as you are. So keep that in mind and to tell your school that you want sex ed in schools. Right, It's so important that schools hear from young people that this is something they want to have and it's something that they want to learn about because a lot of times they just may not be getting sex education in school. So it's important for them to use their voices as a tool for advocacy.
1: Yes. In which I could go and talk to a school board or the administrators, yet young people in the K through 12 system, they have the stronger voice there.
2: Absolutely. That settings right. for them. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Do you have any, like, conversation starters for a young person to go to a parent?
2: Well, that's a good question. So I think you can um, always do the I have a friend who, right? So if there's something that you're experiencing and maybe you don't want to, you know, tell your parent that it's something that you're experiencing, I know you can certainly go to a parent and say, hey, I have this friend who blah, 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 blah. What do you think about that? Does that sound right to you? And that would be a good way to sort of get some information about topics that you're thinking about. And when you start with the friends, you can then move the conversation into, well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Right. And then make the conversation more about you and, and, and see how your parent naturally reacts to those things. It is important for you to know what your parents' ideas are on, on the different sexuality topics. Right. And so um. Yeah, I think that that could be a great opportunity to to get the information you want and then to also just sort of grow the conversation from there.
1: And you made me think if the parents and the the young people are watching some of the same shows, like on Netflix or something, like you said, there's Teachable Moments, something that's shown on maybe Cobra Kai. I don't know if you watch Cobra Kai or have seen it.
2: I have not seen it.
1: (laughs) Okay.
2: One of the only people in the world that has not seen Cobra Kai.
1: (laughs) And considering the Karate Kid was so popular on Long Island because of Ralph Macchio being from Long Island.
2: I've seen all the Karate Kid movies. I just have not seen Cobra Kai.
1: (laughs) Recommending it. I mean, there is a lot of violence. I am like that's why like when we watch something and our young people watch something to have the conversation because there's fights in a school and. But for Cobra Kai, there are certain things that are noted about sexuality that would be great conversation starters on either side.
2: Great, I'll definitely have to check it out. Do you have, have any? fan of sex education.
1: Oh, okay. okay. Yes,
2: that's okay. that's definitely a um, one of my favorites on Netflix. And okay. that with season four, so. Okay. If you haven't checked it out, it's a great uh, it's a great opportunity to. Get some ideas about what young people are thinking about and what they're experiencing in high school.
1: Thanks for reminding me of that. Thank you. <laughs> do you have any favorite resources that you recommend? I mean, we have your book, The Essential Sex Education Book for Parents Guided Conversations to Have with Your Tweens and Teens. There's Answer. And how do we find Answer for a resource?
2: Sure, it's answer.ruckers, R U T G E R S. edu.
1: Are there any other favorite resources that you have?
2: Yeah, for high school age students, I definitely recommend our teen resource, sexetc.org. It's sexetc.org. For the middle school age students and even parents who have very young children, ages three to nine, there's Amaze and Amaze Junior, which is a great series of animated videos. There's uh, for the younger kids, a whole parent series of videos, and then a whole series for parents to watch with their three to nine year olds and sort of have those as conversation starters, and then I know one of your recent one of your recent guests on your podcast for goodness sex by Al Vernacchio is a favorite of mine. So those would be some of the things that uh, that I turn to often. And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they? Uh, absolutely. So um, my email address is d rice r i c e at ruckers.edu. And I'd love to hear from folks. If you have questions, if you have ideas, if you have feedback, always welcome to all of it.
1: Excellent. And what I'll do, Dan, is I'll make sure that that email address is put into the description of this podcast that people can easily go to. And I'll also put in the link for answer so people Great. can click on that and get to some reliable information. So, awesome. I thank you so much for your time today and for being here. And I look forward to hearing about the success with your new book that just came out, The Essential Sex Ed Book for Parents. I'm so excited to read that myself. And I hope that, you know, things continue to go well with answer and all thank you to our listeners who are listening in. I hope that you're understanding more that we talk not just about those pubertal changes, but we talk about those mental emotional plus those other things about sex itself, but it doesn't have to be specifically about the act, but all over sexuality. Does that make sense, Dan?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. It's always great connecting with you.
1: Same here, Dan, same here. So thank you again. And thank you to our listeners. And I hope that you have a happy and healthy day.
0: Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow The Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information as well as ask questions to be answered by The Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book common questions children ask about puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.